Are we ready? Yeah, it's time. All right, as you make your way in, grab a seat, grab a coffee. I think there's some in a pot back in my office. You can go pour a cup. No problem. I think it's open. I'm not kidding. I'm serious. <laughs> go enjoy. <laughs> yeah. Okay, good, good. You're good. All right. So we are, we are in week four, and hopefully my, my goal is this week, maybe next, maybe one more as we just think about foundations of the fall. And again, just to remind you, for the, I think everybody's been here. I don't see anyone that's, that hasn't been here yet, which is always helpful because we're, we're kind of building right, as we go um, together. But part of the goal, too, of this time is to help to stir us for this series in Genesis and just thinking about how those foundations affect our foundations. And it's not just us individually, but us as a people, and then peoples and nations. And this is big, right? all of this. So let's pray together. And then I would love to just hear a, a quick comment, just one thing that has struck you, just one, um, over the last three weeks. Just something that has stuck out to you or struck you, okay? A quick feedback. So let's pray together. Father, in Jesus' name, come to you. Lord, you are truth, and you are good, and in you is all that is good, is all truth. And we want to submit ourselves to you, Lord, and pray that you would Open our eyes and give us ears to hear and hearts to understand your truth. We pray that even as you dig and, and stir in us, you would confront us, but that we would behold Jesus together and that we would worship together and that you would metamorphosize us by the renewing of, of our minds and by your Spirit's good work in us. So we commit our time to you for the glory of your name. Amen. Amen. All right. So one thing that has stuck out to you, one thing that has struck you, um, what do you got? No pressure. I'm not going to wait for everyone. So just feel free. Go ahead, Mike. I saw that hand. No, no, you... you you, you volunteered. You're first. <laughs> One thing. Thank you. Yes. Oh, yeah. Hey. I haven't cleaned them yet. I forgot. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Looking through the lenses. We all have our lens, right? It's there. Carefully crafted. What's the thing that holds us to our lenses? What is the most powerful shaper and maintainer of our lens? Do you remember last week? It was one word. What is it? Well, it should be the word. That's the thing that should be shaping, should be, right? It has to be scripture confronting the lens. But for us, in my me-centered man-centered worldview, right? In my lens, what is the thing that, that holds it the firmest? Can you remember what word I used? Me? Okay. It, I mean, it is because it's ultimately I'm going to trust my lens over your lens because I know the work I've put in to craft this. All right. Um, experience. Good. Our experiences really become the chains that enslave us to our lenses very much um, because I've experienced this thing. 
And, and, and I hope you're seeing that by lens, I don't just mean how you view, but it's how you live. It's how we react, right? And so how many of you have had a painful experience that has shaped the way you interact with people relationally? I'm going to protect myself so that I don't get hurt, right? And so I, a, a form of hiding in a sense, right? That, that, that there's, this is shaping me. So my experience shapes me very powerfully. And, and I, to have the gospel come into those experiences and transform them. Wow. And that's powerful. Okay. Anything else though? Yes. And, and I like that in relationship to what you're saying in that what we do with our experiences, we, we get to choose how we interpret them. Mm-hmm. Are we going to interpret them via the word or are we going to interpret them from our surroundings, ourselves, the world? Um, yeah. And we're interpreters. Yes. Yep. Good. And, and there's something powerful about God reshaping the way we interpret, the way we view ourselves, others, Him, right? Even our experiences. You can actually have a reshaping of your experiences. And if you've had children, you know how quickly kids can have a very different perspective of a situation. And you're like, you really need to just die to your perspective right now and trust that that my perspective is right. But can't you be wrong? Yes. (laughs) But God has given me to you, right? Like you've got to be willing to submit your perspective. Ah, I don't, it's my perspective. Okay. But how, how much we need to have our perspectives reshaped. Okay, but that's not for today. I mean, that's big stuff. Anything else, though, that's stuck out to you? What is a worldview? Everyone, the lens through which we view and interpret the world around us and live according to. Okay, so let's do it again. All right. Hey, guys, what's a worldview? Okay, you can come up with a better definition that doesn't end in a preposition. That's fine. Though it's, it's not grammatically incorrect, you actually are allowed to end in a preposition, but you're just told that you shouldn't. All right. So um, that's what we're working with. Okay, so be thinking about it. I want that to, to go inside. God-centered worldview, man-centered worldview, me-centered worldview. So we looked at the fall, question, doubt, test, according to me, um, the results, sin, death, slavery, and that's not good. Our responses, shame, hiding, fear, blame, pride. So we've talked about these things. And I want to just begin with where we ended uh, last week, which was Hebrews 10. So let's start with Hebrews 10. And then we're going to jump forward because I just want to remind us that as we dig into some of these, these, these realities at work in us, um, we want to, 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 to look, we want the Lord to reveal, but we want to gaze upon Christ. We want to set our gaze on him and the truth of him, right? the truth of the gospel. And so just coming back to where we finished, Hebrews 10, 19. Let me read it for us. I love these words. Therefore, brothers, or brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, That's a great statement. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Wow. Right, you see those two? Let's hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. This is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. All right, and that's why we're here. We want to stir each other to love and good works. We want to to push each other uh, to the confession of our hope without wavering because he who promised is faithful, right? It's who he is. 
let's, let's work. Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 4. I think this is another text that I think is helpful in the, in the light of the garden, in the garden imagery of the fall. He says in Hebrews 4.11, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Okay, he's just talked about the whole first generation that came out of Egypt that, that didn't believe and that disobeyed. And those go together. So we don't want to fall short by that same disobedience. For the word of God is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Wow. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Even as Adam and Eve covered themselves, they were not covered in the eyes of God. He saw through it. The, the only covering that is acceptable is the covering that God brings. God covers, right? And it's his provision of covering. And that's the beauty. It's his word that, that dives in, that, that pierces and divides. So with that, I want us to take on one more aspect of, of what we see in Genesis 3. All right, we've... Whew, good catch. Um, we've looked at specifically um, a number of these from, you know, fear, deceit, shame, shameless, you know, kind of seeing those two extremes, hiding and pride. But today I want to just focus on, on this word fear. And I think it's important. All right, so if we think about fear, we don't necessarily see fear as a tactic before the fall because what did they have to fear? Anyone? Nothing. There's nothing to fear when God is the center of your world and truth and reality is defined by him and you're living submitted to it. Like there is freedom from fear. It's not there. Now, the enemy actually uses a very interesting twist on, I would say. We could probably use a different word than fear, but it's, you know, it's somewhere in that category. Um, Have you ever heard of the fear of missing out? (laughs) They call it FOMO, fear of missing out. Um, if you ever see that in a text, that's what that means, okay? <laughs> you know, like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to miss out on this thing. Um, so that, you know, different, different aspect. We talk about fear of man, right? That, that concern of what will people think, right? That's an aspect of fear. And so we do see that, right? The enemy approaches uh, Eve and Adam with this fear of missing out on what could be more. Because there is more, and God's withholding from you, right? That's the lie. And, and so it's that, that longing for what I don't have. Okay, so that, that, there's an aspect of that, and that's not what I want to focus on, though. Because what, what happens immediately with the fall? What comes into the world? Sin and death. All right, this reality Okay, spiritual death is real. We're going to see uh, there's different ways to understand the aspects of physical death. Okay, it's real. People are going to die. This is a fallen world. All right, and, and go, let's look at, since we're already in Hebrews, I think this is a good starting point for us. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews 2. Listen to verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. That through death, right, through Jesus' death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, that's a huge statement, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. And so you've got slavery to sin as a reality and slavery to fear of death. That's a reality. Okay, so fear as a captivator of the human heart. All right, now how many of you have ever felt fear? You've been afraid. How many of you have ever felt fear in a spiritually oppressive way? 
And we see your hands there, all right? It, that's probably most of us, probably all of us, one way or another, uh, it, it, that's a reality, all right? It, when we come to, the gar- or to, the, to Babel, wh- one of the things I hope to be able to do in our time, because obviously, again, we're limited in messages, but to think about the ways that culture spreads, all right, and, and sort of how we've gotten to where we are, because we kind of find ourselves in the world, and it just sort of seems disjointed, and yet it comes from, really, the same foundations, all right? And, and in these foundations, we are cultures that by nature follow who? According to Ephesians 2, we by nature follow Satan, by nature, all right? And here in Hebrews, through fear of death, we're subject to lifelong slavery. And, and this is slavery to the fear of death, slavery to Satan, and those go together, right? That's a reality. There's an enemy. And so, um, I hope this is, you know, I debated whether, I, I, I'm going to read a portion of this. I, I mentioned this book, and I think it's helpful because it's very different than our cultural worldview. But the foundations are, as we'll see, very similar. Um, this is called Spirit of the Rainforest. It's a Yanomamu shaman's story. Uh, it was written by Mark Ritchie. I got this off of Amazon. I had read some of the Yanomamu story, the way that the gospel came into this, this tribal group. Um, fascinating story. And then I saw this come up and I thought, I started to read it and it, wow. So this was a, a sociologist or anthropologist, anthropologist who was writing during a time when people were saying of tribal cultures, just leave them alone. They're better off not being polluted by the West. All right, so just leave them. They're happy as they are. And uh, this guy went into where, where some missionaries had been laboring among the Yanomamu, and he had interviewed, he got to interview this very old man that they called Jungle Men. And Jungle Men, I mean, he, he, he yeah, he, he, very old. And he shared his story. And it's an amazing story. And, and, and he looked back over his life, and he just walked this guy over a number of, of years, um, stories that you would never tell, because the Yanomamu don't tell these stories, especially not to, to Nabu, to, to white people. They don't do it. And, and so he records it, and it's, it's a bit tough. It's hard to read. I, I wouldn't let my kids read it uh, unless they're older, because there are some very, very uh, 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 difficult sections as it relates to some of the raiding um, and some raping that does take place within the, within the, the, the culture and the tribes. But I want to just read this portion at the beginning where Jungleman tells about when he was young. Again, because it's so different than what any of us would ever imagine. Okay, Jungleman says this. He says, no one should be alone in the jungle, especially not a child. But I was, and it felt good. A small log lay across the trail. Instead of stepping over it, I stepped right on it. That's when it happened. The log said, why are you stepping on me? (laughs) Get off of me. I shook with fear and ran home to my mother. When I went hunting, even when I was little, the animals came up to me and said, go on, shoot me. I ran home, scared to death. But my mother told me it was because I was special and I shouldn't be afraid of them. After I became a young man, everything in the jungle talked to me. When I walked on the trail and brushed the leaves to the side, they said, why are you pushing us out of the way? What did we do to make you treat us like that? (laughs) I threw my bow and arrows down and ran home. These voices you hear, my mother said, aren't the voices of animals or plants. You know plants can't talk, right? Obviously, we all know that. They're the voices of spirits that want to have you. They want to help you. Don't be afraid of them. You are special. You will be a great man of the spirit world. But I haven't trained to be a shaman, I said. I haven't taken ebony. That's a drug that they would use to connect into the spirit world. Drug abuse and spirit realm, ancient, goes far back. uh, I haven't taken ebony and asked the spirits to come to me like all the shamans do. His mother said, that doesn't matter. The spirits have already chosen you to be their special one. They are coming to you even though you haven't decided to be a shaman. This is your calling, even if you don't like it. I don't think I like it, I said. I'm afraid. There's nothing to be afraid of. They're wonderful. As you learn to control them, they will stop scaring you. 
What if I get the wrong spirits? What if I get those bad spirits I've heard about? Don't worry about that now. You'll be able to get rid of the bad ones later and keep the good. Okay, so this is, this is a worldview. This is, a, this is a, that's being passed. There's real in the experience, but there's also interpretation and understanding, right? There's lens here that's going on. Um, it, it's one of the fascinating things about the story is that as he uh, ultimately uh, allows the spirits uh, to, to, to abide in his shabano, his, 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 the hut of his heart, um, he says this after the fact that he just thought it was amazing. Um, he says, they took me to Omawa spirit, the leader of all spirits. Just being near him is the greatest thing that could happen to a shaman. He is so beautiful with the overpowering smell of the loveliest flower of the jungle. Not even ebony could give such a thrill. They took me all over the entire jungle and even back through time. I saw all those things that happened that I had heard my mother and the old people talk about. I saw Omawa, this is the chief evil spirit. I saw him come to the Yanomamu people to help us become the fiercest and most beautiful people on earth. I saw him teach a young shaman to grind up the bones of his relative and stir them into a big banana drink. Then Omawa told him, this is the body of the one you love. Okay, think about this. Just very fascinating. All of you drink it. Then we will go and kill the person who caused his death. I watched them surround the village and attack through the Shabano entrance. They killed the man they were after. Then Omawa, the same spirit, helped the shaman in the other village learn how to grind the bones of their relative. And they went back to kill someone in the first village. All right, so you see this? this? This is the cultural practice. This is what they did. Very common. And so one village going and attacking the other one to kill one revenging back to kill, one revenging back and stealing, one. This was among the Yanomamu tribe, okay? This was the practice. One fascinating thing, and this is the last thing I'll read out of here for you, is um, he asked, what is that place? Because he had seen a, a hawk take a child's soul up uh, through the bottom of the lake, but it was a place that was too hot, too bright, and too noisy, he said, what is that place? That is the land where the great enemy spirit lives, two of them said. He is the most powerful spirit there is. Another said, but he's unfriendly. You can't get near him. Like right now, he took the soul of that girl and he'll never give it back. He's eating it right now. And we can't get into his land because it's too hot there and too bright. That's why they call him Yai Wana Laba Naba Laiwa, the unfriendly enemy spirit. He'll never come out there to talk to us. Well, what about all that noise? That's all the other beings up there singing to him and celebrating. They're always celebrating something. Right now, they're probably celebrating that they got the soul of this child from us. Okay, I'll stop there. Isn't that crazy? Because you're obviously scratching your head like, okay, there's a, there is the, the spiritual reality of heaven where God dwells and where angels dwell and where they sing and it is too bright. And yeah, of course they can't go there. But that's, uh, that's the enemy spirit. Uh, what are they celebrating? Oh, probably that they've gotten the soul of this child. Um, crazy. Okay, real quick, give me your thoughts. What do you think of that? Okay, Jungleman's story is amazing because his whole life, I'll, I'll give you the synopsis. His whole life, he resists, he's, he, he's very powerful. He becomes the most powerful. But his nephew is called uh, 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 Junk, uh, Shoefoot, Shoefoot, because one of the missionaries gave him shoes. <laughs> he took on the name Shoefoot. And Shoefoot becomes a follower of Christ. And, and, and Jungleman just... He says the spirits, when he's around Shoefoot, the spirits in him go crazy, and they just, he just wants to get away. And, and so there's this really amazing story of exposure to the gospel, resistance to it, until the end of his life, the thing that happens to him was the thing he never thought his spirits would do, and that's that they finally try to kill him because he's so old. And when they try to kill him, God's light shines. I mean, it's amazing. And they flee, and Jungleman basically realizes truth and becomes a worshiper of Christ, of God. So it's a great, it's a really neat story. Um, and that's, uh, you know, it just blows me away um, to see it. But, but the foundations of cultural deceit 
That's why I share it. What are the foundations? There was a time when someone within the Yanomamu, whatever they had known or believed before that, it changed. Because Satan, through whatever drug, whatever into the spiritual realm, was revealing truth. But it was lie and it was bondage. And it held them in slavery. Of course, the gospel comes in and confronts that and changes it. And that's what's amazing. But what is the controller? What's the controller of their worldview? You could say it deceits a foundation. But what is the controller? What holds them bound into their lens? It's fear. Which is why I'm bringing it today. Fear is the controller of the fallen worldview. Fear of death, trying to control, trying to revenge, right? It is fear-driven. Now, how do you think our culture, very different, how do you think fear is a controller for our culture? Fear of man, okay, yep, peer pressure, fear of what others will say or think or do, yep. Fear of death, that's massive. Trying to put off uh, death as far as we can, um, trying to, to do whatever we can, right? We don't talk about death in a lot of ways. Um, what else do you think? Fear of aging, right? Try to look young. Think about your... Go ahead. Okay. Right? Okay, good. Fear of pain and the eliminating of the things that cause it or that aren't perfect. Good. Fear of financial collapse. Is that big? You better believe it is. That's huge. Fear of failure. Wow. Fear of not being successful all the way to failure. So it can be failure or it can just be not successful enough, right? Yes. Okay, yes. Fear of the unknown, good. Fear of persecution, is that it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's not weird. Fear of being known or exposed. What will they think? Okay, so that's tying into fear of man, right? Fear is alive and at work. Um, and it is binding. It's captivating and binding. I wonder, think about it for yourself. How does fear work out in your own choices or struggles? How is fear a part of your daily life. One of the things that, that I meant to use this phrase and I'd forgotten it. It's, it's, uh, one of y'all can help me. I don't know if this is an Ed Welch phrase. Um, um, respectable sins. Who wrote that book? Bridges. There we go. Respectable sins. We, we have, you know, really respectable sins. They're, they're not the big, big things. They're the little things. They're, it's not really a big deal, right? It's okay um, because it's just being human. And, and while that's true, there's such twisting lie involved because it holds you captive to it, all right? And so when we think about some of these issues like, like shame and hiding, okay, that's not really, I mean, that's just, that's okay. It's, it's respectable. Or uh, hopefully next week we'll talk a little bit more about deceit and the way that that plays out, 
right? That's very, it's, it can be respectable, at least little, little things. Um, fear is, is a respectable sin. Complaining and grumbling, right? That's definitely a respectable sin. Like, that's one that we're like, yeah, you're right, and we join in. Uh, very hard. It's, it's, we don't look at it for the reality of what's, what's underneath it, what's behind it. And, and our fears very much can move into the same place. Feeling fear is part of being human in a fallen world. I mean, when I was sitting there with my hoe looking at the bush and my buddy Chibetti hit it with a stick and that cobra came out the other end towards me and stopped and reared up, I felt fear. In that moment, I didn't worship. <laughs> like, thank you, Lord. You are good. You created this snake. You're sovereign over all things. I just felt fear, almost like a panic. I locked up, and by God's grace, the snake went back into the bush. Okay, um, that's that's okay. There there are even healthy fears, right? Like like don't get near the snake; it could bite you. Okay, so not not all fear is bad. That's not what I'm saying. Um, but it's what we believe. That how we allow fear to control us, what we believe about those things, that, that, that's where the twisting comes, and that's where the bondage to it comes. So, uh, for example, one of the stories that Laura Beth will tell in Uganda, you just want to tell it? No, I'll tell it. Um, so, you know, there's, there's plenty of things to fear, right? I mean, one of, one of, for me, uh, somebody going to break into the house during a rainstorm, right, when you can't hear very well. So I'm wide awake when it would rain at night and I'm listening, um, unless the Lord gave me the gift of sleep. Uh, that, that was real. But LB, earlier in those first couple of years, it would just be, okay, where is Elisha? I don't see him. He must, what if he climbed the tree and, oh, what if he's at the treehouse? And then what if he fell out of the treehouse? And then what if he broke some, what if he's dying right now and I can't get to it? I don't know where he is. Where is Elisha? <gasps> okay, something like that, right? Uh, has anybody known that progression of fear? Okay, where you, you start playing it out and you let it go and it just starts to grip you. It becomes controlling. Okay, it's a controlling fear. And that's really what I want you guys to think about. As we think about effects of the fall, fear is very real. Right? And the enemy loves to use fear. Again, there is a godly fear, right? We talked, mentioned that last week. There is fear of God, which actually puts everything else in perspective. And that's what we're constantly submitting ourselves to, lining ourselves up with. Right? That is the beginning of wisdom, which affects all of life. All right? But over here, it's where do these fears grip us control, and control us? And as as we were talking about it, you know, as she tells it, um, one of the things finally was just like, Laura, I think you just need to confess this as sin. It's like, what? Why would, what? It's like, yes. It's like, you're allowing yourself to sin. Like, you're playing things out in a way that isn't submitted to Christ, right? And that was a big deal. And she actually did. She began to confess those types of things as sin and ask Jesus to change that response, to take, to, to take it, right? And God began to meet her in it and to change her so that she didn't become captivated by fears. Now, if we took the rest of our, our time um, and I just started saying, okay, tell me about some of your fears. I think we could spend a few hours. Yes, Okay. <laughs> All right, there you go. All right. But really, it's a life. You know, you plan for retirement and done things, and then inflation goes wild, and you're afraid you're going to lose your life. Yes. Lose our comfort. Fear of. And you get angry. Yeah. Good. The response reveals the heart which is the place of the issue. For LB, in that situation, the response revealed heart. Do I trust in God for the lives of the children he's given to me? For me, it's the same. A kid has malaria and 105 degree fever. You can't do anything. It's gotta be God. There is yours. There's something about surrender. And I think that's, that's really the word that I want to press us with here. 
Because as we face the reality of fear flowing out of the garden, out of this reality of death, and this reality of the brokenness that we can't control. Because isn't that the issue? Isn't it what we can and can't control? That we as God's people are called to surrender. Surrender our fears. And know the glory of Christ. In those fears. And watch him transform them. Because... He has destroyed the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. He has delivered all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. And, and some of us, you just feel like, this has just been my life, okay? I'm just a fearful person. Don't believe that lie. You're not just a fearful person. There are things behind it. There are things that, that lies that you have chosen to believe, right? Things that have formed you or shaped you in your experiences, and those experiences are real. And that's where God has to meet us to transform. Surrender. Right? We are not held to lifelong slavery anymore. God delivers from fear. He meets us in our fear. And so it's not like, okay, just stop being afraid. Just stop being afraid. No. It's, God, I feel this. Will you Take it. Will you enter in and transform this? Will you bring hope? Will you bring trust? I need you. And that's where the gospel meets us. We need the gospel to meet us in our fears. And you know what you find? If for some of you, this is, if this is hitting something, you might just find the next two weeks harder than ever because the enemy's like, yeah, no, you're not going to get free of fear. No way. I'm going to make it worse. Like, like just until you're finally like, okay, it's not a big deal. I'll just keep living. <laughs> no. Like, this is life and death. That's what the enemy brings. He wants to hold us captive. No. It's Christ. Let him meet you in that place. Cry out together. Invite others in. Put your fears into light. A lot of it is when we hold things inside secretly. We keep it. It's just my little thing. Don't, don't, don't live that way. Expose it. Let the light of Christ shine in. And let him transform. Let's look at Psalm 23. Listen to this. And I love it that it's written from one who has suffered and should have many fears. Um, this is David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. I love the translation, waters of rest. I think that's a good image, because it is. It's waters of rest. There's still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of death's shadow, shadow of death, or the valley of deep darkness. Good translation, ESV subnote, subtitle there. I will fear, what? No evil. Like we so need this psalm outside of a funeral, right? I will fear no evil. Why? You're with me. You're with my child right now. I don't know where he is, so I'm not gonna let my mind go there, Lord. I'm gonna believe truth, right? You are with me. You are with him. I will trust you, whatever that means, right? Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Rod, rod of discipline, I think that's the image. Staff 
of, of shepherding, leading, drawing, wooing, protecting, you get these together, that's a comfort to me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. A table to eat and feast with you before my enemies? By the way, who are the real great enemies out of the fall? Sin, death, Satan. And those are imaged through the physical enemies that oppose God and his people. You're setting a a table for me. I'm not held captive by these enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and it's hesed. It's God's covenant, loyal, faithful, abundant love. Love that. God's covenant commitment. That hesed will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That is glorious truth for a people on this side of the fall, but a people on this side of the cross. How great because he is the good shepherd and he leads us to pasture and he lays down his life for us and he has all authority in heaven and on earth. What do we fear? Let's not be controlled, captive by fear, but the fear of God, which sets us free from all other fears. Okay, I think time is up uh, just about. Any, any comments? Someone look up 1 John 4.18. Uh, tell you, LB, do 1 John 4.18, Leanne, 2 Timothy 1.7. These are just sort of the classics, um, but I still want to hit them. Any quick comments or thoughts? Right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that control, right? There's a bondage of trying to control. So even for jungle men, it was, I can control the spirits. I can keep the good ones. I can, you know, so that I'm using them when the truth was, is the other way around. And that's what he discovered. He became, he was their slave. Um, right. Yeah, absolutely. It's not. It's the same bondage. The same, same foundations are at work, right? In all cultures, they're going to play out differently. Um, and by the way, I, I usually don't tell this story and I won't tell the story, but we do have friends who are missionaries in Alaska to a, 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 a native people and there was a terrible situation and story short, a, literally a, I would say, a, 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 I would say a demon spoke through a bird to her, telling her to uh, basically to, to go back, to not intervene in the situation. I mean, it was crazy. She's like, I don't ever tell the story to anybody, but I can tell it to you because you live in Uganda, so you understand. She's like, I'm not kidding. Like, a, a bird spoke. And I'm like, wow. Okay, of course, but scripture, hello. Donkey speaks. Balaam's not like, oh, why are you talking? It's crazy. You know, um, the snake speaks. Like, th- there's a demonic reality, right, that, that's there. Um, of course, I don't think Balaam's donkey was a, was a demonic. I think, I think that was, was God. Um, Sorry, I go off on tangents. If you want to talk about Balaam's donkey, you can ask me later. Um, good. All right, let's 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 hear scripture. Go ahead. Let's do First John four eighteen. Okay, so there's this reality of love driving out fear, and again to go into First John. That becomes an amazing and powerful scripture, right? Powerful text um, in in, in the way that those work together. Um, Love and fear. Okay, Leanne? For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. 
Wow, he's given us a spirit of power and of love and self-control, right? Not of fear. Um, there's a reality here. Our scripture speaks into this for us, and there's plenty of other places we could go. Um, I'm going to give you a movie recommendation that I think highlights a lot of what we're talking about here. Now, I'm going to be careful because it might not be for everyone. Um, However, when you think about foundations built on deceit, half-truths, lie, fear as a controller, right, which is, again, all cultures, all peoples, uh, that's that's what we find. Okay, I think... uh, I think there's one movie that really draws it out well. And it's called... I should turn my mic off so it's not recorded. Village. The Village. And uh, it's, a little, it's a little scary, but not. Okay, a little, but not. So I, I, it's not for kids. Teenagers, yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it, it's amazing. It's amazing just to highlight these things. If you want something lighter, you can go for The Truman Show. Um, the Truman Show is, is, is kind of the same concepts, but in a much more lighthearted way, okay? It's, it's a fake reality within reality, all right? And that's really what you're dealing with, these lenses of reality that actually aren't real, except that you think that they are, because that's what we've been taught or told. Um, another one, uh, you could do The Giver, um, and there's others, The Matrix, Hunger Games, and various movies over the years that I think are, are sort of hitting some of these same things. Okay. Any final questions? Amen. Love that. Yeah. That's the kind of story where you always say, there's so many people telling us how to live, but very few are showing us how to die. Right? Because we kind of sterile and keep away from it. But that's, like, that's powerful. And that's impacting. Um, Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Yes. You got to talk loud, though. Can you guys hear her? Back there? Milton, can you hear? Okay. He he went away for a night or two, and in the night, this huge storm came. And the storms in, in Uganda were very loud. We had tin roofs. I mean, they were thundering where you could not. They were just so loud. And we had a ladder had been left propped against the house, against my window. And it was just banging, banging on the side of the house. And I thought, are you kidding me? I'm not going to sleep all night. And... I just was reminded that I did not have to be afraid. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to go move that ladder. And I went out in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the bush of Africa, and took that ladder off the side of the house in my pajamas, and I was not afraid. And I went back and slept peacefully the rest of the night. And I knew that was just testimony that God had worked in me and changed me to not walk in fear because (laughs) Yeah. And it really was like I knew God had broken me free from that pattern, mm. that fear cycle in my life. Yep. Wow. Woo woo. I love it. Thank you. Okay, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we worship you because you have overcome death. You have all authority in heaven and on earth so that we can go. We can make disciples of all peoples, all nations, that we can walk free because we are not unaware of the enemy's schemes. We know what he does. We know his tactics. 
And yet, Lord, in the midst of this fallenness, we face these realities, um, our fears, our hiding, our struggles. Um, But God, thank you that you meet us in that place and that, Lord, you lead us gently with your staff and with your rod of correction, um, that we would surrender to you. And Lord, I pray that, that we would, that you would lead us as a people out of slavery to fear, uh, into the freedom of children of God, as we trust you, as we look to you, as we walk with you. Lord, that you would give us grace in the journey. Um, and you know the needs of each one here. God, you know the experiences, you know the battles. I pray that you would enter in and that you would work greatly, um, and that the power of, of Christ and your spirit would be on display through our broken and feeble hearts and lives, and even through our struggles. Um, Lord, that you'd be glorified. Um, I pray that, that in these days to come, that, that you would continue to stir in us and draw us uh, into just fresh, fresh faith, fresh hope, fresh love, and even as we worship you with your, with, with your body here today, uh, may we delight in the risen Christ. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.